0: We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you. And we are very, very excited about today because it's Easter. It's, 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 it's like the greatest day in history because it's the day we reflect on the victory that Jesus has brought through the resurrection. God brought through his son being raised from the dead, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So last week, we started this two-part uh, series, you could say, two lesson where we're talking about a worthy kingdom... And today, a worthy king. Last week, a worthy kingdom, we found out about this realm and this reign and this kingdom that will never pass away and this kingdom that we all desperately should want to be a part of. And so today we get in talking, of course, what follows a question like, what is the kingdom? Comes the question, who is the king? And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to do this. We're going to answer two questions. Who is this king and why is he worthy? Now, here's something else that I want you to clue into, though, um, as we go through this. We're also going to be answering this question. What does this mean for me? Right? So as we reflect on this kingdom, we look at this king, you need to, at the end of it, be asking yourself, what does this mean for me? So I want to help us out a little bit with it. You're going to see this icon pop up throughout the lesson. And that's where we're going to take a pause in the the, the facts and the details and the awesomeness of the word the king to bring it home a little bit. And so when you see this with these Easter colors here, you're reminded to think, oh, here's what this means for me. So let's get right into it. First question we're going to answer is who is this king? Now, church, one thing I'm going to do here is I'm going to be kind of exhaustive, proving proving to you who this king is, and we're going to start in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, which Daniel was brought up last week when talking about the kingdom. It's an appropriate book to go to, but look what we read here. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man. If you look in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to and refers to himself son of man. Why would he do that? To bring people's mind back to this portion of scripture so they would know who he is. One like the son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him, and to him, son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, you see it? That all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Look at this next verse. Who is this king? Jesus answered my kingdom, my kingdom ownership. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is, is not from the world. John chapter 18. Who is this king? Jesus is already revealing that his kingdom, the one that he possesses, the one even from the Old Testament, it was told that the ancient of the days would give it to this Son of Man, it would be given to him and he would have dominion. Who is this king? Revelation 1 says this, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of of kings on earth to him. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ, who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood, made us a kingdom. Priests to God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What is John doing in the book of Revelation? Book of Revelation, taking our mind back to things in Daniel, back to Old Testament, dominion, glory All of these things where it's prophesied about the son of man, this one that would come where he would be, he would have dominion and power over everything. And then we get to sit here today celebrating who that is. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. Now I want to take you back to the book of Ephesians because this is going to kind of bridge the gap between who the king is and why he's worthy. In the book of Ephesians, remember Paul's prayer in the beginning? He prayed for the Ephesians and he said this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul desperately is praying. He's wanting them to know something. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now look at this. That he worked, God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 15. And I hope it's, it's, it's an exhaustive truth to see that who is the king that both from the Old Testament and who the Jews were expecting, the one that David himself represented was a shadow of, the promise he would sit on the throne of David, the one who was the expectant king that was to come, it is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and revealed himself, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the king, but Ephesians alludes to his worth and it it brings us to the resurrection to show us where this power and this worth is coming from. Jesus is the worthy king. Oh, remember this symbol? What I want you to do throughout this? I want you to bring it home. What does this mean for you then? If we're answering the question, who is the king, and, and we're answering that it is Jesus, he's the worthy king. We haven't quite got to his worth, why he's worthy. But let's just talk about him being the king. What does that mean for you? Maybe you're a Summit Church member. Maybe, you're, maybe you go to church somewhere else. Maybe you're not even in Michigan. Maybe you're not even a Christian and somehow you've stumbled upon this because it was in someone's news feed who is a Christian. What does this mean for all of us that Jesus is king. It means this. It means whether or not we know it, believe it, or accept it. We have a ruler. We have someone with great power, someone who rules over the universe, all kings of the world, every person, every nation, every tribe and tongue. He has dominion. He has power and he has the privilege and the right to be king, to be God. And the dominion is his. So whether you accept it or not, what it means for us is that Jesus is ruler over our lives. Over our lives. He is. So let's talk about why he's worthy. Let's get into this. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First and foremost, you saw what happened in the book of Ephesians. He talked about this great might that he worked in Jesus when he what? when he raised him from the dead. This is Easter. This is what we're celebrating. This is why this is such a big deal. And it's appropriate for us to come to 1 Corinthians 15 to get excited and talk about this. So now, Jesus is the worthy king. Why is he so worthy? First and foremost, bridging the gap from Ephesians to here, because he is risen. And this is first and foremost, because the whole rest of this sermon rests on the, this fact, this truth. Because he is risen, Everything else we're going to see that talks to his worth is because he is risen. Church, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus is worthy because he is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. Look what it says here. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he says this, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has, has been raised from the dead. That begs the question, well, why is he saying, why is he saying, but in fact, well, if you go back and read the first 19 verses, this whole chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is setting up this argument to those who didn't believe that there was any resurrection of the dead. And he's like, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Christ himself has been risen from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say, listen, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith and your toil and your striving and your effort and your love and your praise to the Father is all in vain. He even says, he even acknowledges, if Christ is not raised from the dead out of all people on planet earth, we're the most to be pitied because we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. So perspective that Paul was not blind to. Not blind to. But then he goes through this, this list of evidence though. He says, but But here's the thing, Jesus did die and he did raise to the dead because he appeared to these disciples and to these men and then he appeared to over 500 different believers, eyewitnesses who saw him, who touched him, who got to be with him, who got to substantiate the empirical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul says, and then he appeared least of all to me. Paul himself got to see Jesus resurrected, the resurrected, ascendant, Jesus appeared to Paul and called him into his ministry, turned his life around and said, I am king of your life. Whether you are willing to admit it or not, you're kicking against me, you're mine. In that moment, Paul was made a Christian. Though he was on his way to persecute them, he ended up joining them because the king cannot be resisted. But in fact, that's where this bridge comes in. So he says, all of these things, if Christ is not raised from the dead, 500 different people, he has been seen. It is true and it is a fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. I mean, you think about 500 different witnesses to something. Put yourself in a courtroom. Put yourself in a courtroom. Again, maybe you're watching this and you don't necessarily believe in these things. But when you look at history, when you try to validate or substantiate something, especially in a courtroom setting, really the best thing you have to go on is the testimony of eyewitnesses. And when you have multiple different witnesses from different angles, corroborating the same story, the person who's on trial it's not looking good for them, especially when you have witnesses. It's going to be very hard to fend against that. Now bring 500 different people to the stand that saw you do something, and they all give the same story. They all give the same eyewitness account. You're done. You're done. You're done. Jesus was seen by hundreds of people. God that went great lengths to prove And to show and give us a faith that is not blind, but a faith that is based on truth. And now Paul writes this to show us, hey, listen, he has been risen from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Why is he worthy? Because he is risen. So what does this mean for you and for me? What does this mean? I mean, think about it. Think about it. What did he say before? He just said, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain Here's what it means, because it is a true fact that Christ has been risen from the dead, you can live your life knowing that your faith is not in vain. That means your love for God, your belief in God, your hope in Christ that you're looking to, the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he's given you this inheritance is yours. Is yours. He has been risen from the dead. And if you do not know them, what that means for you is that you have something that you can believe in, and there is a good reason to believe in it because God's word gives us the evidence and shows us what it is to believe. So if you're wandering this earth, with no hope. You don't believe in the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead makes him different than every other person who has ever come before him or after him that's tried to claim some type of spiritual heightened sense of closeness with God because they all died and their bones wasted away and they returned to dust. They they were just men, just men, just women. Jesus was different because he defeated death and he was risen from the dead, proving he was who he said he was. Your faith is not in vain, church. Keep believing, keep moving, keep going. Why is he worthy? Look at this next one. He is worthy because he is the firstfruits. Now we've got to explain this one a, list, a little bit. So let's look at the second half of the verse. He says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean, fallen asleep? It means died. What does firstfruits mean? Now, when you see this word, First fruits, the word first should help you. And maybe the word fruit is a little different. Maybe it brings in some confusion. So let me help you with this. First fruits, think this. First, think the best. Think what belongs to God. Think representative. And then think this, a guarantee. So Christ did something where he was first. He was the best of this thing. He represents others and what he did as a first fruit is a guarantee to the others that will come after him. You see in the Bible, the first fruits were the things that belonged to God, the sacrifices of the harvest, the first of the harvest that were the good and the best that we gave to God. But it also represented this. It also, those first fruits represented that the harvest was still to come. There was more to come, that more like this would come. So think about this. If Christ is the first fruit, of those who have fallen asleep, it means this. It means the very fact that Christ died and was risen from the dead, it's a guarantee that you are part of that harvest if you believe in him, that you too will be raised from the dead like him, like him. It's not just this thing where we read and we see Jesus rising from the dead. And we're like, that's cool that God did that, but that's not, that's not what's gonna happen to me or how it's gonna happen to me. It'll be a little different. No, it'll be exactly the same. He's the first fruit. He's, he's the one that is, is going before us and has now given us a guarantee as our representative that if he has risen like this, that he will also raise our bodies like this as well. He will rise us, will raise us from the dead and we will be given new bodies. That is a promise. That is not something ethereal. That is not something that's like a dream state. This is a real thing that is going to happen. And because he is the first fruits, this is what this means for you. Now look at this next verse. So he explains it. He gives an example to explain it a little bit. He says this, for as by a man came death. He's talking about Adam. As by a man came death, by a man has has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He's explaining first fruits a little bit by talking about this idea of a representative head. Romans 5 tells us, because Adam sinned, all sinned, and since death now reigned in Adam, because he's our federal head, our representative, death now spreads to all people, and now we all die today because Adam died. Adam sinned and he died, so there's a guarantee as the first fruits of Adam being our representative, being kind of our leader because of Adam, we all now, because we sin, we're going to sin because he sinned, and he died, we're going to die. What is our experience? Our experience is that is absolutely true. It is grounded in facts and you cannot get away from your representative head, Adam, who's brought sin and death to you. It's gonna be the case. But just as sure as that is, it is also sure that Christ is now this new first fruits, this new representative head to all who believe in him. Death doesn't come, but what comes? Life, life comes, life comes through Jesus from a man came death, also by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection. For as in Adam, all die. All die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. All be made alive. But look what he says here. He says, But each in his own order, each in his own order, here's how it's going to happen Christ is the first fruits. Christ is already died and risen from the dead. He was first. Then, who's next? Then at his coming, who? Who? Those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. Let me stop for just a second and make this point. Why is this an interesting book and, uh, verse in the book of 1 Corinthians? If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, what do you find? You find believers fighting constantly divided and bickering over who's best, following men and putting themselves above their brothers, uh, uh, whether they're rich or poor, classifying themselves in these little cliques and subgroups and exalting themselves over one another. So it's very interest, interesting. At the end of this book, he brings it back to Jesus being the focus. And he says, hey, each in his own order. You want to know the order it is? Maybe some of you are just oh, here's the order I'm definitely going to be first. He says, it's Christ and everyone else who belongs to him. Everyone is equal and the same in Jesus. And no matter where you are status-wise on planet Earth today, if you believe in Jesus, your status is all the same together, is that you will follow him in a resurrection. Follow him in a resurrection. Oh, Those who belong to Christ are promised this, this federal head, this representative, this first fruit means for you. It means you have someone who has gone before you and who represents you and who has guaranteed you that what happened to him will happen to you. But who is this for? It's only to those who belong to Christ. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? You have a guaranteed resurrection waiting. Does that make him a worthy king? does that make him worth following? I'm telling you, I don't know anybody else on the planet who's done for me what Christ has done for me. I don't know anyone else in history who's been able to be seated at the right hand of God, who has lived their life in perfection to the law of God without sinning at all and lived it for me. I don't know anyone else who has showered me with such grace and mercy other than Jesus. I don't know who... Anyone else who has given up their only child for me when I was an enemy with them and they died in my place on wrath so that I could have their perfection. I don't know anyone else who has given me that. And I don't know anyone else who has risen from the dead and proved it, proved it. I don't know anyone else who's been able to, by their spiritual power, maintain and sustain this truth through thousands of years, though generation and generation and king and king and evil person after evil person reject and try to snuff this off planet earth. I don't know anything else that just keeps growing. That's what God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. It will not stop growing. And I don't care how good technology gets. I don't care how good the PhD, doctor, philosophical, British-accented, smart people get who deny God, his kingdom will continue to grow. And those who belong to him, those who belong to him, which I hope it's you, are guaranteed a resurrection just like Jesus waiting for them, waiting for them. Now, maybe you're one of those people who don't believe, but you're tuning in here today. You don't know why you got led here. You don't even know why You seem to have this calm, calm, open ear listening to God's word right now. But I hope there's a part of you where the the spirit of God is working in your heart saying that this is real and this is a hope that you've been looking for that you won't find anywhere else. What this means for you is that Christ is risen from the dead and he's the first fruits. And you can belong to him too by believing in him, believing he died, believing he was risen from the dead. You know what Romans 10, 9 says? It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be part of this. You'll be given this. Oh, it's wonderful. This is why Easter proves his worth as a king. He's risen from the dead. So all of these things that we're talking about stand upon the foundation of his resurrection. Let's keep going. Why is Jesus worthy. Not only because he's been risen, not only because he's first fruits, but also this because he is conquering. Present tense and continual. He is conquering. Look at this next verse. Then, so each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then those who belong to him will be resurrected. And then he says this in verse 24. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. We're gonna to come to, back to this first part here in a second. But look at verse 25. For he, who's he? Jesus. For he must reign. Remember what we learned last week? The kingdom is not just a realm, but it's a reign. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, this is currently what is happening. What is currently happening today? Whether you see it or not, here's what's happening in the spiritual realm over earth, over the universe, over the spiritual realm. Jesus is reigning. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is ruling and he is conquering. He is currently conquering. We are living it out right now. For he must reign until he has put all Of his enemies under his feet. Now, if you're an enemy of God, what is that guaranteeing you? You know what that's guaranteeing you? That's guaranteeing that you will be conquered. You will be conquered. And his reign continues till a time. His kingdom and his reign will continue forever. But there is this interesting point, though. There's something that's happening right now that is already but not yet. There are still evil forces that have been allowed by God to to reign and to rule in the air of earth in some manner or form, but all under his control. But there is this time frame where God is conquering. Jesus is conquering. And one of the ways that he does it, I would say the main way he does it is he snatches those who are his away from the enemy. Jesus said, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, all that the father has given me will come to me. Jesus said, I know who are mine that are in the father's hand and no one will be able to snatch them out of my father's hand. There's this security. There's this guaranteed work of Jesus that he will save those who are his. That means there's no one that the enemy will be able to keep away from Jesus that Jesus it hasn't called, or that do not belong to him. The enemy can do nothing over that. Jesus is going to accomplish his work by calling all of his sheep from every nation, tribe, and tongue from the ends of the earth. He is gathering his sheep, his people, all those who belong to him. And he's conquering the enemy by saying, there's nothing you can do to stop this. Nothing. Nothing. Those who are mine, those who are mine will not give up on me. Those who are mine will hear the gospel and they will believe and you will not be able to stop it. What does this mean for you? Well, first, if you belong to him, it means your king is winning as we speak. Winning as we speak. Let me bring it a little bit more personal. Let me th- let's, let's think about it. You belong to the king, but you're still very much aware of the weakness in your body still much in tune with your failures every day your sins every day very much in tune with the conviction and guilt that might plague you at night as you reflect upon your failures as a wife a husband as as a father as a mother your failures as a as a as a teenager your your failures as someone on planet earth as an employee as a boss as a leader someone on fel- on planet earth who's constantly constantly being A plagued by the sins and the failures and the weakness of the body constantly what does this mean for you the fact that he is conquering it means in your life that you believe in him revelation says that you're an overcomer because you believe in him and regardless of your sins his grace is far greater and he will conquer every single aspect of your life we're told in Philippians, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. So now you, even in your own life of sanctification, have this promise that he will conquer. He will conquer. You also have this promise that grace will abound over you. You have this promise that you have his mercy every single day. You have this promise that he's going to use you and that he wants to use you. That you are not unimportant. There are no unimportant believers. There are no can't be used Christians. There are no second class Christians, God has children. He has those who belong to him and they all have the special calling to be used by him in a powerful way because he is your worthy king. He's risen from the dead. He's your first fruits. You have a resurrection waiting for you and he is conquering on behalf of you. As we speak, your king is winning. What if you don't know him? What if you don't know him? What does this mean for you? The fact that this worthy king is conquering even if you don't see it. And the book of Hebrews even admits, we don't now see this. We don't see it with our eyes, but we know it's happening. We know it's happening. So here's what it means for you. If you're watching, and maybe you may be like, I, man, I know I'm an enemy of God. I know I am." Here's what it means. It means your knees should bow in faith before they're broken in fear. Let me say it again: Because this worthy king is conquering all of his enemies and putting them under his feet, you don't want to be an enemy. You don't want to be an enemy. And as an ambassador of Christ, the message is there's reconciliation with the God you were an enemy with. He has provided the way for you to have friendship now with him, to be made a family member. And he doesn't want you to remain an enemy. He proved that to you, that while you were an enemy, Christ died for you. It wasn't when you were worthy. It wasn't when you followed him. It's when you were a sinner and you were an enemy of God that he killed his son for you to demonstrate his love for you. That's Romans 5.8. Because he's conquering, it means your knees should bow in faith willingly now before they're broken in fear because we're told that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't wait till your knees are broken as an enemy and you're forced to the ground. We're told that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. But this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. And I mean, some of us, and I was thinking about this as I was even preparing this application, was the thought that some of us would be like, man, this is God, really? I thought God was supposed to be loving. Why would a God do this? You know, I, we don't have a good ability to relate with God for some reason, right? So let me give you an example that will help you relate to him. I want you to take, if you're a parent, you take your only child, and you sacrifice your only child, you literally give that child up and, and they are killed on behalf of someone else in this world. Someone else in this world who's actually, who hates you, doesn't want anything to do with you. And you in your love, you want to show them how much you love them and you give your child for them. Now, what remains in your heart of your emotion towards that person that's an enemy of you that you want to display love to if they completely reject the sacrifice of your child? They make fun of him or her, They stomp all over his blood. They rub it on their face and they mock him constantly and they never accept that wonderful gift that you did on their behalf. There's gonna come a time where your patient runs out and you will gladly feel the same wrath that God's going to feel for those who continue to reject his son. That is the only hope and the only message that remains for all people on planet Earth. You want a hope, you want salvation? You want to be forgiven of your sins. You want to find out your purpose. You need to believe on the one that God sent, which is his son, Jesus. And you will not be able to resist him. You may think you can for a now, but there's a time when the person who puts Saturn in the sky, who holds Jupiter together, the one who made the whole universe, the one who makes bears that we're afraid of, the one who makes hurricanes and tornadoes that we flee in terror of, the one who controls all that and makes it, you will stand before him and your knees will be broken in fear, and there will be no way you will be able to resist that, because is far more powerful than you. You are not God. He is, he is the king, but he is willing that none should perish. Bow the knee right now in faith. Let this time of coronavirus be a time where you are seeing a little bit of his judgment on the world, hopefully in a way that will wake you up and bring you to a place where you see your need for him, and you'll no longer be asleep, no longer be asleep, Wandering this earth, aimlessly rejecting the one who's loved you more than anyone anyone and anything you could ever imagine. Believe in Jesus because he is conquering now as the worthy king. Don't be conquered by him when it's too late. Give your life to him now. Why is he worthy? Because he will be victorious. He will be victorious. This is very interesting. Last, Last point was about him conquering currently This next point is about the reality of what will happen when his conquering is done. He's going to be victorious. Remember the last, the first part of the verse I said we come back to, look what it says. Then comes the end. So there's an end of evilness and wickedness in a time period on earth where he is conquering, grabbing all of his children, letting his gospel message go out to all who would receive it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord be saved. He's bringing his sheepfold in. But there's an end when he does what? He comes and he delivers, or I want you to think about this word, presents the kingdom to God the Father after doing what? Destroying every rule and every authority and every power. I, when I read that, you know what I think? You know, I don't want to, to strap all of my hope and efforts to an to a earthly power. You know, I might have authorities and powers on earth today that I, I, I honor and I respect. And I obey, but they're not the ones that I strap all of my hope to. And a lot of you, a lot of us are strapping a lot of our hope to government and people who are just as flawed as us. Every single authority and power, both in the spiritual realm and on earth, will be destroyed by this worthy king. I wanna be on his side. I wanna be on his side. There's a time coming when he will be victorious. His conquering will be done, the time will be done, and he will reign victoriously. What is the last enemy to be destroyed? Look at this, verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This has some implications here. This, this makes me realize, well, wait, 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 wait. He's conquering, but what has he currently already conquered? Well, according to this verse, he's already conquered everything, everything. Satan, the demons, the angels, when Jesus was risen from the dead, Every, every principality, every power, every earthly form of wisdom, all of that was destroyed in that moment. And there's only one enemy that still remains that is to be destroyed and will be destroyed. And that enemy is death, right? That's what we still experience now. Is there still this time When our bodies decay, there's still this pain of loved ones leaving. There's still this time when we die and we go into the ground and we die. And it seems like such a powerfully horrible thing. And it's thing that we spend our whole life trying to avoid. We spend money trying to avoid this. We spend all of our energy and efforts trying to get away from this reality that's going to inevitably hit us one day. And that's the fact we're going to die. And we're told the last enemy to be destroyed will be destroyed is death. Then look at this, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet, under Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Uh, What is that talking about? Let me reword it. In the Old Testament, God said he's gonna put everything under his feet. We find out in the New Testament, it's Jesus whose feet he puts it under and then God is excluded. God the Father is excluded from being in subjection under the Son for the Son is in subjection to the Father. That's what it's saying here. And look at this final verse. He says, when all things are, all things, not some things, all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, Jesus, that God may be all in all. What do we see here? We just see the unity and the oneness of the son and the father. For everything to be under subjection to Jesus is for everything to be under subjection to the father. And for God the father to have everything in subjection to him under his rule and his dominion and his authority means that the son has all of that. They're one, they're different, but they are the one and God is pleased to have the preeminence dwell in his son that's why the god of the universe commands all people everywhere to repent and believe in his son and submit to him and god himself gets that subjection when you are subjected to his son we're seeing a beautiful picture of the trinity here their oneness but we're also seeing that jesus has a goal a goal to present the kingdom present his kingdom this worthy kingdom as the worthy king present it to his father One day to show him it is done. It is complete what is done. Everything has been subjected to me. Every knee has bowed. Every tongue has confessed. Every enemy has been defeated. And who is the one that has accomplished it and who's the only one who can accomplish it? It's Jesus Christ. This is why he's the worthy king. It's a no-brainer. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, I want to read us the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Remember this, the last enemy to be defeated What does this mean for us? Here's what he says at the last. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you what mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed." For the perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of sin, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory. Who gives us that belong to him, who believe in him, the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The fact that he is going to be victorious means this. Your death equals victory. How? does Jesus conquer death? By taking death, the consequence of sin and the horrible, horrible separation from God and death, which is horrible, And using your death to be the very thing that bridges you from mortality to immortality. He uses your death and he turns it around on the enemy and he shoves it in his face. He says, yeah, they may die, but I'm gonna use their death as the means to give them the eternal life they've been waiting for. Your death equals life. Your death equals eternity. Your death equals victory. Your death equals no more pain. Your death equals everything you've been waiting for. Your death means walking through the door of mortality, and seeing the heavenly realm of God and being face to face with Jesus, with no more pain, no more crying, with those who love Jesus as well for all of eternity to praise his name and have everything, everything that you've ever, ever wanted and more than you could ever imagine waiting you at the feet of Jesus, as the psalmist says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his fullness, in his fullness, there is joy. There is joy. This is how he's victorious He takes your death and he makes it the victory. He makes it the victory. Here's what it also means for you if you don't believe him. It means your death, it means your death is still a a gloomy, harsh reality if you don't believe in Jesus. It means you will die in your sins and you will stand before the God who made you, the God who gave you his only son, the God who gave you patience and time. You see, a lot of times we think, God, where's God? I'm living the way I wanna live and he, there's no lightning bolt. But the Bible tells us that he is a foolish person. Do you not realize that God's patience, goodness, and kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He's being patient with you now. He's being kind. He's trying to help you see, I am, I'm kind and I'm loving and I want you to repent. I want you to turn to me and see the satisfaction and joy that's in me because your death is coming and I don't want you to stand before me in your sins. Because as the righteous judge, I must judge them and cast you away from me, because you are lost and still in your sins. But the victory can be yours through Jesus. You are not excluded from this. You exclude yourself by your unbelief. This call goes out to everyone on planet Earth. You too can have the victory, and it comes through simple faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has risen from the dead. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Why is he worthy? church, it's Easter. We have a worthy kingdom that's ours, that's been given to ours, and we are, the, we are the recipients of the kingdom, and we are the citizens of the kingdom. Priests to God, priests to God. And his reign of the worthy king, Jesus Christ, he's worthy because he's risen. He's risen. It's a fact. You have a risen Savior, so your hope is real. He is the first fruits, which means you were guaranteed a resurrection like his. It's waiting for you. He is conquering. As you speak, your king is winning. You're not on the losing side, so don't let your circumstances tell you you're losing. And he's worthy because he absolutely will be victorious. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And I imagine it's closer than it's ever been. And it could be closer than we imagine. That great reunion when everything is done away with and only his kingdom remains. So church, are you resting in this truth? Do you know that he's worthy? I hope you know now. But are you letting this affect your life like it should? And if you're watching, you're an unbeliever, you're not a part of this. Listen, there's nothing, nothing more I could say to you than to tell you about the wonderful joy and peace that comes through knowing Jesus. He is what you've been looking for. He is what you need. He is the only hope you have. It is Jesus Christ. Look nowhere else. Believe in him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it can be yours, but it takes humility. You talk with God and you ask him to forgive you. You let him know you believe Jesus died and he rose from the dead and you will be saved. Let's pray. God, our heavenly father, it's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful day where your people who are hurting throughout the world, get to reflect on the reality, the truth that is the summit that takes our mind off our circumstances and lets us see what's ahead and reminds us the matter of what the circumstances we in, where we have a kingdom that is worthy and we have a, a king that is worthy who is ruling on our behalf, who is conquering on our behalf, who has risen on our behalf. God, part of the winning team. But this this halftime locker room speech, our heads are heavy and, and we're prone to think that somehow the other team is winning. But you bring this truth to show us that it is a guaranteed victory. God help us to remain faithful while we're here. Encourage your church. Renew within us good works, and a zeal for your ministry. Let us lay down our lives on, on the altar of sacrifice and give our lives to you willingly, though we don't know what sometimes we should be doing. We just present our bodies to you and say, take us and have us because you're worth living for if I'm worth dying for. And God, you were raised for me and you will raise me. So God, take my life and use it. But God, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. So help us, we pray now. Help all of us. And thank you for Jesus and his resurrection. We pray it all in his precious name. Amen. Ever to the King of Kings. God was prophesied. He came and He died and He rose. And Jesus is the King of Kings. Hey church, I hope you know that. I hope you're encouraged by that. And and I hope you would feel led to reach out to us if you needed more encouragement or if you need anything. We are here for you. Which also want to speak to maybe you're you're one of the ones you've you're not a part of the church, you're not a believer, but you're You're sick and tired of putting your hope in government and politics and and transient things and other people, and you have found that the hope in the world has always disappointed you, and you're ready to look to a hope that doesn't disappoint. We want you to know we want to be available to you, even if you need private conversations. Our, Our contact information, we have it here on this page. We'll put it in the comments. So if you've watched this and maybe you're alone and you're like, I just, I need this. I need to be a part of it. I need to know Jesus. Please, there's nothing more that would thrill our hearts, than to be able to tell you more about this God who saves and who can make you part of this kingdom. Even if you're not anywhere near us, we'll help you get connected with the church. So, family, church family, brothers and sisters, it is Easter, so you spend the rest of this day rejoicing. You spend the rest of this day with palm branches, rejoicing over the King who has come and who has risen, and you reflect on the truth of who you are in Him. You spend time with your family rejoicing in this truth. And know this, you are loved. God bless.